Good morning. The first reading is Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Um, The screen says 981, but it's actually 284 in your pew Bibles. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The second reading is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 33. It's on page 1575 of your pew Bibles. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that you would meet us where we are. Whatever we have brought into this building this morning, worry, anxiety, joy, concern, ambivalence, anger, bitterness. God, whatever we feel, whatever we bring, we pray that we might open our hearts to you to allow you to have your way with us, to form us into your people, that we might think your thoughts and do what you would have us do in this world. God, may our worship be a time of growth as we seek to love you and to love our neighbor. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we finish a four-week focus on stewardship. Now, I would hope, and this is the teacher in me, doing a a recap and a reminder of what we've looked at over the past weeks to reinforce and to reiterate. 
if I were to ask you now that we've spent three weeks going into our fourth week on stewardship, if I were to ask you to define stewardship, what would you say? Giving of time, talent, and treasure. Thank you, Jackie. I won't tell you what's going through my teacher's brain right now. Come on, students. Selfless service. All right, Nick, there's two, two important things that we've talked about in that too, right? Uh, thinking of others over ourselves and serving them. For the last two weeks, we looked at two things that try to, uh, depending on how we, we focus on them and how they present themselves in our lives, might mitigate against a life of stewardship. And that is finding our security in anything but God, which seems to come at us all the time from every direction, doesn't it? Finding our security in people or places or things other than God, And then also having a a mindset of scarcity, believing that there's just not enough, and what there is, we must hoard for ourselves. That's another thing that I, I believe if we're honest and if we examine our everyday lives, that's that's a lore to us, isn't it? And what Nick said with, with being selfless, a scarcity mindset. That develops a sense of selfishness, looking after our needs over the needs of others, perhaps unconsciously not believing and trusting that God can provide. So scarcity and security can mitigate against being the sort of steward that a life of discipleship calls us to be. Well, today we're going to examine what I think is a culmination of a life of stewardship, of of being a responsible caretaker for all with which we have been entrusted. And that is as it manifests in a life of service. A life of service. The two scriptures that Sharon read for us this morning are, are absolutely consequential in the entire scope of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Mark chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I've been teaching my students, I teach a college class on literature of the Bible, and our students that I teach, we've been going through the Old Testament and looking at how, and if you, if you read the Bible closely, friends, I invite you to do this on your own. Read the Bible closely. You can see how so much of the biblical narrative just weaves around itself and concepts are reiterated over and over again. You, you, perhaps you, you start to make connections where before you saw none. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the entire book of Deuteronomy really is Moses' farewell to the people of Israel. He's led them out of Egypt, out of liberation, liberated them from, from the, 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 the oppressive tyrant, the Pharaoh, They went through the wilderness, wandering for 40 years. They finally make their way to the promised land. And if you remember in the wilderness, Moses in this moment of sort of impetuous anxiety, where he doesn't trust God to provide, strikes a rock. Water comes from the rock. But because he didn't trust, he, he can't enter the promised land. So he dies as the people are on the cusp of entering it. In the book of Deuteronomy, the people are poised to enter 
the promised land. And Moses gives his, his goodbye, his last discourse with the people. And he reiterates to them uh, how God was faithful to them all those 40 years of wilderness wandering. And even before that, when they were in Egypt as slaves, how God was faithful to them. And how God will be faithful to them when they enter the promised land if, if they trust Him. See, God makes this covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 16. It, it sort of begins. And there, when, when God enters a covenant, God never changes. His terms, His end of the bargain, as it were, never changes. Yet His blessing, the realization of His goodness in the life of these people that He has called out to be particular, that blessing is contingent upon their faithfulness. Not that they need to earn it, that's not the point. But by living a life of trust in God they realize the the full benefits of His blessing. They're able to to prosper and to do well. And those of you who know your Bible, you know that over and over again, the people fail in doing just that. They trust themselves rather than God. They see circumstances of, of scarcity around them, and they start to look for security in other places. And they wander for 40 years the wilderness. And here at the cusp, Moses offers this, this whole book of Deuteronomy, and this one section in particular that Sharon read is really the, the culmination of everything. This is called the Shema, this prayer. And in fact, um, if any of you have seen uh, certain Jewish traditions, they'll wear little boxes of Scripture on their body. What does Moses say with this prayer? Bind it upon your forehead. They'll wear it on their forehead. They'll wear it on their heart. They'll wear it on their hands. There's something about this prayer that for for Jewish people and, and for Christian people, it orients our entire lives. It gives us direction and purpose. And that is this. Moses says, Hear, listen, O Israel, The Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jews will pray that in the morning. They'll pray it throughout the day. They'll pray it at night. Hear, listen, O Israel. The Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Let's take that prayer apart for just a moment. Hear, listen. What was the original sin in the Garden of Eden? It was Adam and Eve not listening to the Word of God, what God had told them to do. They disregarded it. They didn't listen. And so Moses reiterates to them the need to listen, to pay attention. To stay close to God, because if we're far away from God, we can't hear Him, can we? To listen. To stay close to God. Hear, O Israel. Do you know what Israel literally means? The one who wrestles with God. Or wrestlers with God. Do you remember Jacob, when he has his name changed from Jacob to Israel? 
he wrestled with God. And as a result of that encounter, his name is changed. And if you remember from the story in Genesis, he bears a mark on his body. He walks with a limp for the rest of his days as a tangible marker that he had wrestled with God. Listen, you people who wrestle with God. Wrestling with God, inherent in that is, is, is trust, is relationship. You can't wrestle with someone or something with whom you don't have a relationship. The wrestlers with God. Even when God seems silent and quiet and distant, the people were called to still wrestle, to still stay connected, to stay engaged. Here, you wrestlers with God. The Lord, your God, is one. Now, in the Jewish tradition develops this mono. Theism, which this was one of the things that made the, the ancient Israelite people distinct from all the peoples around them, who served a pantheon of gods, who believed in a, a whole variety of deities. The Jewish people believed in one God, Yahweh, one. And yet, it's even more than just this, this statement about God's being or God's essence or God's nature. Also implied in this understanding of God being one is that God is Superior. God is superior. God God is the sum total of life itself. God is not one in a series of many, right? I mean, we look around and we've got this building and we we have people. We have have this world we live in. We have rulers and leaders. We have nature. We have all these things and then we have God. No, God is not one among many sorts of things. No. God is the sum total total of existence itself, the creation, God created us, God is, the psalmist says, in God we live and move and have our being. There is something totalizing about this God who lives outside of time and space and eternity. And so, the people are instructed to listen, to wrestle with this God who is beyond them, but who calls them into a relationship And then they're told to love God with all their heart. The seat of the emotions. How we feel, our our emotional selves, that center of us. We're to love God with that. We're to love God with all our strength. Sorry, all all of our soul, rather, Moses says before strength. All of our soul, who we are spiritually at our very core, that's to be devoted to God. And then our strength, our physical bodies, the energy and that that aspect of life with which we have been blessed, that is also to be used in loving God. And in Mark, a teacher of the law, someone who knows and likely recited this prayer many times a day, an expert in the law comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus takes him right back to that prayer that very likely that man prayed that day. Love the Lord your God. But if you noticed, if you listened carefully to what Sharon said, Jesus adds something, doesn't he? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The seat of our our intellect, our will, 
that aspect of our lives with which uh, God has blessed us, that and our strength, the entirety of who we are, every aspect of our existence is to be used in loving God. And Jesus links that great commandment with loving your neighbor as what? As yourself. I really see three commandments here, don't you? Love God first and foremost. That orients everything and puts everything in proper perspective. Everything finds its place when first we give everything over to this God who wants us to wrestle with Him, wants us to be in a relationship with Him, wants us to be so close to Him that we can hear Him. That's first and foremost. And out of that relationship of love, we love our neighbors all those around us, and as we love ourselves. Do you see the implication here? If we don't love and care for ourselves, how can we love our neighbors? How can we love those people around us? If we're to love them as we love ourselves, then that says that we're to do something, we're we're to be good stewards of ourselves, of how we are created, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. All of it is oriented toward loving God, which is then expressed in love and service to neighbors. All through the New Testament, where Jesus teaches on love, which, friends, is a word that... that that frankly, we, we, we need to sometimes remind ourselves of its proper definition. Because love gets bandied about so much. My girls love Twix. They like Skittles. They love Skittles. I love guitars. I love music. You all can name things that you love. We, we use that word at times so easily and perhaps carelessly, don't we? That it's good to step back and remind ourselves when we come to Scripture... And when we come to this section where Jesus is telling us to love God and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, well, what does that mean to love? I think we can synthesize it down to this, that to love, to love another person, is to will the good of another person. To will the good of another person. See, friends, that moves it outside of feelings, doesn't it? Maybe you can, uh, those, of you who, those of you who've been in a relationship with somebody for a long time in whatever capacity, whether it's a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend, perhaps you know that sometimes those feelings that, that may have been part and parcel with that first spark of love, they can wax and wane, can't they? At some point in a relationship to love someone, you make a decision to be committed to them and to want the very best for them despite feelings, despite circumstances and situations which are constantly changing, but to will the good of another. In biblical terms, what that means is that you want for that person, you want them to be everything that God created them to be. And you're willing to do what you need to do to help them realize that. That's love. And so when we devote all of ourselves to God, when we love God with everything we have, 
when we take all with which we have been blessed and use that, give it over to God and say, God, because I love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all my mind and with all my strength, I want you to use all of me as I seek to express my love for you in my love toward my neighbors and myself. Friends, I hope you can see here in these scriptures, this is the the full package, as it were, of stewardship. And remember, we can't really understand stewardship and talk about it apart from these other deeper spiritual truths. A life of stewardship for us as Christians makes sense because we love God and we love other people. If we give of ourselves, if we give of ourselves financially, if we support mission and ministries in this church, if we we give of our time, if we show up with other people to love them and care for them, to meet their needs, if we do all of that, Friends, that's, all, that's stewardship. But if we have not been transformed by the love of God, if that's not our motivating factor, then it's not really stewardship. It's just, it's good, it's good stuff. But for a Christian, it's motivated by having had a transformative encounter with the love of God. And we commit ourselves in all that we are to the God who has loved us so much And how does he call us to love? Through service. Washing the feet. Remember the Last Supper? Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And what does he say to them? A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. And by this all people will know what? That you are my disciples. By the love you have for one another. And Jesus, over and over again, not just in the Last Supper in the upper room, but through the entirety of His ministry, shows what love looks like lived out. It's in service to others. Friends, this morning, as we seek to be people who are committed to what God is doing, as we, as we hopefully, your desire and mine to bring all of our lives and All that entails in line with God's purpose. We do so by this. By loving God with the entirety of our being. With everything we are. By being in such a close relationship with Him. We can hear His voice as naturally as our own breathing. And then because of that love, we love our neighbors through the way we serve them. That's what it means to be a good steward. Friends, it's my prayer that us together here in this church, that we'll be a church that people outside of our walls, people who maybe haven't even considered God, who don't know Jesus Christ, who maybe never stepped foot in this building, will look at St. Paul's and say, you know what? That's the church that loves. They love each other. They love the people around them. Jesus said, by this, you'll know, all will know, You are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Let's love each other. Amen.